what this hopefully uh, many uh, recordings on um, Plato, especially Plato's Republic. Um, uh, I want to work through the Republic in a very uh, kind of thorough uh, manner. Uh, one of the difficulties of of reading any any major work, especially the great works of philosophy, is you want to dive in deep to, 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 to get into the details. Uh, but once you once you do that, once you sort of dive into a text and you really, you know, get into the, the, the heart of it, it's often easy to lose sight of the, the big picture, uh, the uh, what you could call the, the so what of the text. Um, and one of the, the things that a real thorough reading of a text can, can do is it can give you a type of understanding of, you know, the, the precise, um, you know, details of this or that argument in, you know, particular parts of the, of, of the work. But it, it can also have the unintended consequences of causing you to lose sight of what you can call the overarching argument or the broad narrative. Uh, and it's easy to think that you understand what a text is because you understand the details of it. Uh, but if you don't keep in mind the broader context, the broader narrative or argument of, of the text, then the details don't really make any sense. And so one of the things that we're going to be doing as we read through uh, Plato's Republic especially is we're going to be kind of bouncing back and forth between looking at the details of particular aspects or parts of, of, of the book, arguments Socrates is making, uh, various interlocutors that, that he has uh, in, in this work, uh, that, that they're making, but then we're going to also then always be referring back to um, to what I will lay out um, in, a, in a later episode, um, the, the, the main themes, the main concepts, ideas that I think are being recapitulated or, or re, um, re-examined over and over throughout the text. Um, and so if you fail to be able to jump back and forth um, between the, the, the details and, and the picture or what you can call the parts in the whole, uh, you, you, you lose sight of everything. So just as uh, a microscope is very useful for helping you to understand something, uh, just focusing on the microscopic details of something can cause you to forget what really it is that you're looking at. Uh, right, so you 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 might get the impression that you oh because we know the cellular structure or whatever is you know is going on deep down at the microscopic level, then we really know what we're what we're talking about, what we're looking at. Um, but if you can't kind of bounce back and forth between, but these are cells of a human being, or these are cells of a dog, which is the dog that I've had for years and years and years. Uh, if you can't keep, you know, both of those in mind, the, 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 the grand and the, the, uh, the microscopic, the, the macroscopic, the microscopic, the, 
um, the little, the big, the, the part, and the whole, uh, then you will, will only get part of the picture or an incomplete picture. And an incomplete picture is um, useful, but it's also um, dangerous because you can draw various conclusions from an incomplete picture uh, which are false, right? So those conclusions could be false, um, bad, bad assumptions, um, because you take the part of the picture to be the whole of the picture, right? So this, I think, is one of the tendencies of, of um, uh, what, what you could think of as like a, 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 an atomism or uh, something along those lines in the sciences where you have the, the emphasis, the study on, on the, the parts get overemphasized and therefore they, they blind you to the whole of which they are parts which then causes you to even forget that these are parts of something and therefore you just eliminate or get rid of whatever these are parts of and so then you actually don't understand what you're really even looking at if you take you know the the um the microscopic to be the fundamental reality then you actually forget that this is the microscopic view of something right of a dog of a human uh, and and so you have this this um, <clears throat> forgetfulness that you that you get of the, the 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 broader picture by a focus on the narrow picture. And so I want to kind of a, lead you um, right here at the beginning to to think about that, to reflect on that um, as we read Plato's Republic, because I think one of the one of the things that can happen is you can you can read a text and you can think, ah, oh, this is really boring why do people say this is such an exciting important text it's just seems so overly complicated and things now the, there is a lot of complications going on but it's not a boring text and and in fact the reason it's not a boring text um, comes out if you if you read it kind of quickly um, and and that's because you don't get bogged down by the details if certain parts of what someone says don't make sense to you you just keep going, um, and you can still track the conversation, the bigger conversation, um, even if you don't fully get the details. And it can still be a very interesting conversation, even if you don't understand every bit and piece that that's being said. Uh, we do this in our everyday life. So, like when you, you're listening to friends talk about, I don't know, maybe it's your favorite sports team or. Or uh, maybe it's not even a sport that you really, you know, so much enjoy or know a whole lot about. Um, especially say at like the professional level, you don't know the, the players and, and, and anything like that. Um, you don't know the records of, of, of the of the teams, but you can still follow the conversation and find the conversation to be pretty interesting um, by just like listening to it, even if you don't know the details. And then if you if you were to just stop and think. You know, overly, uh, um, you know, just be overly careful about. Oh wait, I can't, I, I can't follow the conversation because I don't know who this person is. I have to stop and and try to look up who that person is. You'll lose, you'll kind of lose the conversation, and and you'll just kind of get lost. Um, so it's amazing how we can follow stories, we can follow conversations, even though we don't know the details, uh, and they can still be very interesting. 
when you don't know the details. And so I, I, I advise you to uh, not lose hope uh, if, if at any point the republic kind of seems like, I don't really get this. This doesn't really make sense. That's fine. Keep, keep plugging away. Keep pressing on because like most things, um, they make sense after the fact or down the, down the road. So when you, you know, you finish something, you can then reflect back on what has happened and say, ah, now I see why that person said this or why that person did this. Um, I didn't get it at the time, but now I do because I'm at the end or this other thing down the road kind of clarified a lot that came before. And so then the whole picture gets, you know, um, illuminated because of that, that, um, special, you know, aha moment. So I would, I would recommend that you keep, um, Keep, keep your spirits up, keep, keep pressing through um, uh, the, the, the reading of, of Plato because it does pay off, um, but it's, it's, it's sort of different for each person when that's the case. Some people are sucked into Plato right at the very beginning. Some people, it's, you know, after a couple pages. Some people don't really, you know, catch on to really what, what's going on in the conversation until, you know, much later. Sometimes it's at, at the very end. Um, and that's just, that's just, you know, different. Sometimes it's different temperaments. Some people, you know, focus on certain aspects and that's what kind of gets in the way or blocks them from really being able to comprehend what's happening. Um, it's, you know, no, not necessarily a bad thing. It's just um, kind of different ways people learn, different ways people listen or read. Um, just as some people can follow conversations easier than other people, but the thing that's necessary is that if you're going to understand a conversation and reading a book is like a conversation, um, especially the Republic, since it's literally a, a dialogue, um, the way you understand a conversation is by sticking with it. Um, it's like if you were to be standing in, in a store and then all of a sudden you overhear this conversation, your first minute, you're like, what the heck are they talking about? I don't get what, what they're talking about. And as you listen, the more you listen, you realize, oh, this person's pool is leaking and they're talking about how to fix this. And, but they're talking about this type of material that I don't know what it is. And the more you listen, you might realize, oh, it's probably some sort of like cement that they're thinking about using. So the more that you stay with the conversation, the more it'll clarify itself. Um, and so a, a philosophical spirit is one who is willing to, to stay with a conversation, to stay there and to, to, to kind of be patient, to, to let it let it kind of reveal and speak to you um, and not think that you have to get the answers right up front as quick as possible. Um, it's one of the dangers of um, kind of the, 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 the world that I think we live in is that we have this expectation that if we don't understand something, the answer should be as readily available as possible. And it's a really unhelpful thing because what it's saying is when you don't understand something, the problem is on the other thing's term. So like if someone speaks and says something to you and you don't understand what they're saying, your initial impression, or at least my initial impression, a lot of us, is, 
Oh, the problem is on their end. They need to clarify themselves. They're the ones that, you know, are, are in the wrong. They need to, you know, speak more clearly, say more things. Uh, I can't figure this out. Whereas in reality, um, that may be the case, but, but it's just as much perhaps the case that the mistake lies in you. Maybe it's the case that you're not, you know, well disposed to, to, to understand what they're saying or to think about what they're saying. Um, and so there's, there's, there's kind of a burden um, or an expectation that the, that the reader of a text or the listener of a conversation has. They have to, they have, to have a type of patience um, to listen or to, um, to, to read with kind of an open ear um, it, and, and not to think that all the answers should just come right when I want them uh, because maybe it's the case that I, I need to kind of re reorient uh, myself, re, re, um, reconceive of the, the situation if I'm going to understand it. So maybe the issue is in how I've conceived of things, not in the things themselves. Uh, and so that's something that I think philosophy is trying to do. It's trying to get the reader or the participant in a conversation to, to slow down and to, to realize they need to restructure or reorder themselves um, if they're going to understand. And that's basically what, what wisdom is. Um, it's this willingness to like hand yourself over to the truth, even if that means you have to correct or revise your own understandings of you know what it is to 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 think what it is to um, um, to, to to know. Uh, so so I, I I ask you to have have that patience as you as you proceed. Okay, um, some of the things I had just mentioned in talking about the kind of the the potential pitfalls of getting into the details of of a, of a text and losing sight of the whole uh, narrative or the whole story um, is is actually I did that on purpose because there's some, there's something of a of a of a fascinating irony um, you could call it in that that very idea a focus on the part losing sight of the whole um, is the whole um, let's see let's call it the um, the whole drama of the republic so what the republic is about is it's about the relationship of parts to wholes and you think that doesn't make much sense i'll give you some examples um sort of working to what i think is the primary example of the republic um so we've already talked about like like cells are parts of of an organism a human say so to understand what cells are you need to understand them as parts of, a, of an organism so like you can actually go up a, a, a couple levels uh, to understand what a, what a heart is or a lungs are. A lung or a heart or a hand, um, these things only make sense in relation to, you know, a, 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 an animal. Um, so a, the, the concept of a heart necessarily implies that it's a heart of some type of living thing, a hand necessarily implies that it's you know of some type of thing that's right uh that's that's a that's a you know a, a handed living living creature um same thing with lungs and so the, the idea is that 
parts always find their intelligibility, meaning parts um, like organs always find or always make sense or are always explained in relation to a broader whole, um, right? Uh, and, and, and this makes sense with, with organs. You can't explain what a lung is unless you appeal to this the system of you know circulation of blood and well the circulation of blood occurs where well within some type of organism and so a heart is always going to be something uh in relation to this broader organism okay and and that's 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 you know an, an easy an easy example that hopefully we can all understand that to understand the part of one thing you understand the um the whole of it here's another here's another um example um, a letter so like the letter uh, um, P uh, is a letter that doesn't in itself doesn't really have a meaning it doesn't really mean anything um, but letters can become meaningful or they can become intelligible but that's only when they're kind of put into a whole which we call a word so you take a bunch of letters which don't really mean anything. Um, P, the letter R, the letter A, the letter Y, the letter E, and the letter R. Uh, this is, I just picked a random word on the very first paragraph of the Republic. Um, uh, right, just a couple lines down, they, they refer to prayer, right? So each of those letters taken individually, the letter P doesn't mean anything. The letter R doesn't mean anything. But then when you, when you, relate them all to each other in a particular way you order them all in a particular way and you put p-r-a-y-e-r -E and you put them all together somehow you get this thing that we call a word which is this whole uh which has a meaning right the the word prayer has a meaning uh even if it's the case that the individual letters taken individually or on their own don't have a meaning um and so you can, you can think of it like if you were to focus on the parts, that is, if you were to focus on the letters without a word, then you'll kind of lose the meaning. Um, you only get the meaning when you find the parts all related to each other, ordered to each other, and, you know, made, made into a whole. Going back to the organism with the organs, all the organs only make, make sense. They only, they only um, are organs when they're related to each other and they're parts of a whole, you know, organic system. Uh, biologists can probably talk about how all these different systems of organisms um, relate so that the it leads to the, the life of the, the organism, right? So you have to have the circulatory system and the nervous system and all these different biological systems all have to be like interacting in the right way. They all have to be related in the right way in order for you to, um, to live. Once the circulatory system stops working that's going to like affect all these other parts of the organism and the whole thing is just going to kind of break apart just as if you were to take out one of the letters of a word the word no longer makes any sense it's not that same word anymore and it kind of breaks apart you might say or it kind of dies once you take one of the parts out likewise if you take one of the the you know the crucial parts of an organism out it too dies um and so what Plato is, is, is trying to think about is many of the things that we, that we um, 
that we encounter, that we think about, are things that are holes that have parts. Um, and what he's wanting to think about is how is it that you have all these different parts related so that it gives rise to this, this new whole object. Now, the thing that he's worried about is not words, it's not organisms. In the Republic, what he's interested in is, um, well, actually two things. It's, it's partly organisms. He's worried about, not worried, he's interested in um, these different aspects of the human life. We have all these things that are like emotions, and we have these things that are reasons, and these are all different aspects of the human life. Um, we have different desires, uh, passions, thirst, hunger, fear. Um, we, we have in, in like rational in, intentionality, like uh, you know, we, we might have beliefs about what's good for us to do, what's bad for us to do. Um, all these things are different parts of, of, of our um, soul, he calls it. But yet somehow they all come together to form a single um, psychology, a single um, kind of a, a psychological ethos. And so uh, what, he's, what he's sort of wondering is, how is it that we have all these different parts of our psychological life coming together um, to like have to have um, a single life, a single action, and which of these different parts of our lives are like the ruling parts? For some people, hunger might be like the most ruling part of them. So whenever you're slightly hungry, all the other aspects of your of your um, of your life uh, can go out the window. You know how oh, I should probably stay and you know, get a little more work done, even though I'm a little hungry right now. Um, but if, if you're someone who takes, you know, their passions, specifically like hunger, to be their ruling part, then any time that you have this this desire, that part of you is going to kick in and it's going to like control um, your life. Your life is going to be controlled by this part of you, which is the, the passions. Um, and so you might think all the other parts become slaves to the passions because that's the ruling part of you. Um, so one of the things the Republic is about is it's about the constitution or the, the composition of the human being. How do all these different parts come together in order to make a single human life? The other thing that he's interested in is kind of going up a level is how do all these different human beings come together to form a whole society. So he's interested in um, the human being as a whole in, in relation to the various, you know, psychological parts that he has. Um, uh, sometimes they're called psychological faculties or different faculties of, of your soul. Um, how do they all come together to make a single a single soul, a single life? But then he's also interested in how does your life fit into the broader whole of society. So um, it's the case that um, when I make an action or when I do an action, let's say, uh, or I even deliberate um, or reflect on what I should do, even before I act, I think about what I should do, those questions of deliberate, those, those questions that I deliberate about are always going to be um, 
or or as he's going to say they they, they should be in um, relation to this broader whole that I'm a part of. So you could best example or off the bat uh, before we get into like kind of this societal part of the republic. Think about like a um, a team, like a like a like a baseball team or a football team or um, anything like that. Um, what a player should do at any given point in in um, in practice or any given point in a game is they should reflect on not just what's going to be good for me, but what's going to be good for this broader thing, this bigger thing that I'm a part of, namely the team. So if it turns out that you know you don't really like you don't really like uh, uh, running stairs. Um, it doesn't feel good to you. Um, you might do it because it makes you as an individual athlete better. But it's also the case that perhaps the reason you want to be a better athlete is not just for your own purposes, for your own individual gain, but maybe you want to be a better athlete because it'll make the team as a whole better. Um, and so there's this thing that you realize your training is at the service of. Your training isn't just at the service of you as an individual. It's at the service of this bigger reality that you are a part of. Um, and so you could think of an analogy. Uh, hearts and lungs are to human beings as human beings are to teams or human beings are to society. right? An individual human being is like an organ of society. And what the Republic, uh, Plato's Republic, what it's about is it's about that, that twofold um, kind of composition, constitution relationship between um, the parts of an individual and the individual as a whole, and then society and the, 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 uh, the parts of society, the individuals. Um, and so when you think about What's going to make me happy? How am I going to live a good life? You need to think about those two things. Um, you need to think about what are parts of me and how do I order those parts? Like how do I you know, properly control my hunger and, and, and all my other bodily desires? How do I keep all that uh, under wraps so it doesn't kind of control me and my life becomes a, a slave to, to, to these passions? But then also, you have to ask the question on the other side, which is, how do I, how does my life serve this bigger, broader reality? Um, uh, this is this is something that if you ever, or if you are uh, now, or if you ever go on to become a parent, um, you realize this is this is like what the question of family life uh, amounts to. How is it that I, as an individual, can be happy? Well, it's only going to be in relation to these other people that I'm living with. Um, and so my happiness is actually something which is um, found in relation to other other people. Um, and so the, the Republic is about this look at the relation of parts to wholes um, through those two, those two um, Kind of levels or there's two contexts society or what's kind of more commonly known as the political 
Um, and then the ethical, which is sort of the, the, the individual man, the political is man as communal. Um, and so that's what, that's what the republic um, is going to be. And so an emphasis on one of those at the exclusion of the other is going to you know, be an incomplete picture. So this goes back to what I said at the very beginning, which focusing on a part and forgetting the whole is to the detriment, right? You lose sight of what you're really talking about, what you're really looking about. Um, and so this has really, think about the practical implications of this. If you think about what is it, what is going to make me happy and you just focus on you, then you're automatically kind of um, losing sight of something that's necessary. Namely, you have to think about what you are a part of or a member of or what you are related to in this broader um, uh, uh, way. Um, and so the, the, um, the Republic is going to be this attempt to make that, that call it this um, movement of transcendence from looking at the part to looking at the whole. So we'll be referring to the concept of, of transcendence. Um, you could think of it as, as that, being able to see something in one way, like letters. You see just a bunch of letters on a page. Like right now I'm trying to you know, teach my, uh, my daughter to, to, to read. Um, she could look at the page and just see a bunch of letters um, but she's missing something, right? There's something important that she's missing, even though she sees all the letters. She hasn't transcended the letters to the word, right? So, so some type of transcendence or movement above letters. You got to move above letters to see this this broader whole, the word, um, right? If you wouldn't you wouldn't know how to read if all that you could do was identify letters. So like beginning with uh, the Republic, if you just saw it said, oh yeah, there's the letter I, and then there's a space, and then it's W-E-N-T, and there's another space. Um, you're not reading because there's no, there's no content there. There's no meaning there. You have to transcend the letters to see them as a whole. And that's what we call um, the word. And so the, this is a very important theme of Plato. It's the notion of transcendence which is to take to take the parts, to take the, 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 the things that are lower and to see them from above or to see them on high uh, um, or to see them in a transcendent way. Um, it's to kind of like elevate them, to elevate the parts into a whole. Um, so that's what, uh, uh, that's what the Republic is, is attempting to do. Uh, and that's why at the very heart of the Republic, the most famous part of the Republic, probably the most famous part of Plato anywhere, is the allegory of the cave, which is this allegory uh, of someone who's living in a cave, who's ignorant, and it's about their ascent or transcendence, transcend, uh, from the cave out into the, into the open so that they can see more clearly you see shadows in the cave. You you then as you as you leave the cave, sight gets clearer and clearer. Um, as you as you sort of move up to the hole, uh, and that that's um, that's one of the, um, the, the, the 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 themes throughout the whole of the Republic is this idea of moving um, 
to a new, deeper way of seeing uh, parts so that they get all ordered and um, they almost become a whole new reality. Just as letters become a whole new reality when you see them as words, um, the human life becomes a whole new reality when you see it as not just a whole of all these, you know, competing um, emotions and desires, uh, but the human life becomes a whole new reality when you see it embedded in a broader life, a societal life or a familial life, or even um, for, for, um, for Christians, a divine life. Once you see the human life as part of, in, in some, some interesting sense, part of the life of, of, uh, of God, the divine life, um, this happens you know, in, in, in Catholicism through the sacraments, we share in the divine life. Once the human life is seen as being part of or participating in um, this, this broader uh, life, it takes on a whole new meaning, a whole new significance. Um, and so that, that notion of participating in something, um, becoming a part of something, uh, is the, the, the main concept of the Republic. So if there's like one thing that you take away this whole summer, is it's this notion that what the Republic is about, is it's about seeing yourself as participating in something um, bigger, something more transcendent, something um, more elevated, call it, call it that, just say more elevated than just you as an individual. Um, and, and so uh, as we go through the Republic, the things that you'll be wanting to, 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 to look at is the ways in which Plato is pushing us to, um, um, to try to make that, um, make that transition from seeing things in terms of parts to seeing things in terms of the whole. And then what we'll see is we'll see a bunch of characters who, who fail to do that, who think, oh no, happiness is just about what I can get, when I can get it, uh, uh, whenever I want to get it. Uh, and what he's saying is there's something, um, there's something tragic about that because if you only get what you want in this kind of individualistic way, you're actually like digging your own grave. You're, 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 you are the one that's preventing yourself from being um, happy, being fulfilled. Uh, so uh, you become your own worst enemy. Um, that's, that's kind of the, the flip side of the Republic is that um, you're often most of the human failures that we have are due to us. And this is just the nature of free will is that um, when, when, when we're unhappy, a good reason for that is because of uh, ourselves. Um, we either have false expectations, right? Most people who are bored, uh, and they think they're so unhappy because they're so bored, they don't have anything to do. Um, that's, that's likely, their boredom is likely their own fault um, in many ways because there's lots of things that perhaps could be done in the state of boredom that would, that would lead you to not being bored. Um, but it's your decision not to do those things or not to see the stuff before you as interesting. Um, right. So, so that's one of the, one of the things to realize is that our, our failures are often our, our fault too. So when things aren't going your way, I think what Plato's w wanting us to, to, to do is to, to stop and reflect on 
what is it about us that's contributing to our own unhappiness? Because that often is going to be a very key element to um, why we're unhappy. And if we can change that, or if it's that if that's within our control, then we're going to be able to be one step closer to to, to being happiness or to being to being happy. Um, and one of the things that I think is at stake in all, in all that is our um, ability to see reality in this transcendent way, which lets us, you know, live a higher life. Um, you, you might, just as uh, words have a higher meaning than letters, um, living a, a social life has a higher meaning than living an individual life. It's kind of like your life extends beyond just the confines of your body when you realize that what you do, the choices you make, are really, it's kind of like the, the life of, of, of this broader community. Um, think about like a team, like the happiness of winning is not just like an individual happiness, but we always, you know, when a team wins, we always say, oh, they won. Or, or if you're on a team and you won nationals or whatever, you say, oh, we did this, we won. And so it's, it's something that you share in together. And part of what makes it so, um, so great is that it is something that's shared in and you realize that it was only accomplished because it was done communally. Um, it wasn't any one individual. It was a communal thing. Uh, and you realize, therefore, your life is bigger than yourself now because you, you, you've, you've united yourself to something broader than just an individual. Um, okay, so that, that kind of frames the Republic um, a little bit. And uh, we'll be returning to those themes. Uh, before we finish, I want to say just a, a brief word about Socrates and Plato and the format of the Republic. Um, so I already mentioned that the Republic is a, um, a dialogue. And actually, it's not exactly a dialogue as it is Socrates's reflection or recollection of a conversation that he had the day before. So the, the way that the, 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 um, the Republic begins is, I went down to the Piraeus yesterday with Glaucon, the son of Ariston, to say a prayer to the goddess, and also because I wanted to see how they would manage the festival, yada, yada. Okay, so it's Socrates telling us, the reader, I went down to the Piraeus yesterday, and here's what happened. And then he gives us this, you know, incredible lengthy, like 300-page story. So this whole thing is actually a narration of Socrates to us, the reader, right? So, so even though it, it's it's written like, um, here's what the first one, here's what the slave says. Polymarchus want, uh, wants you to wait, and then a little later. You know, you have Glaucon saying, all right, we, we'll wait. Um, so it looks like it's this kind of back and forth dialogue. You should think of it as like it's what it is. It's Socrates sitting there um, reporting this conversation that happened. Okay, And now this is significant for a couple of reasons. Um, one of the main reasons uh, that this is significant is um, it's, it's sort of reminiscent 
or not reminiscence. It's it's foretelling of the whole um, structure of the Republic. So the Republic, as we kind of already alluded to, is about this movement from parts to whole. But one of the, the things that we'll see is um, this this structure, which is known as like an exitus reditus structure. It's a common phrase. Um, that's a common phrase used in, in theology. What it, what it basically means is like this, this leaving and coming back journey. So the Odyssey is a great, you know, classic example of this. It's like a leaving and then you are trying to return. You, you, you go out and then you come back. Um, and one of the one of the things that you that you can um, think of in, in light of um, kind of a theology or a metaphysics of creation is what what existence is is it's God's like giving of himself giving of his being this great like outpouring and what the point or the purpose of this outpouring is is that it be reciprocated and then brought back uh, uh, to the father so so this is also Trinitarian theology uses this example, the, the the father's outpouring of the son, and then it's like reciprocated or returned back, um, and the, the the union that's brought uh, about between this going out and coming back is the Holy Spirit. So anyway, the, the, the point is that this this um, structure, the way that the, the dialogue, the Republic is, is conducted is it makes you understand that this is a, a recollection this is an attempt of Socrates to recall something that has already happened um, and when you recall something that's already happened um, it almost becomes new again right so that it looks like oh you're just reporting what um, what what happened in the past this is one of the great downfalls of, of our understanding of memory is we think that it's just like rote repetition or, or reproduction. You're just reproducing exactly what happened before. Um, but that's not the way that the, the, um, the ancient Greeks um, thought of, of, of memory or recollection. They thought of it more as like a sacramental, uh, which is why in, in, um, in the Gospels and in, in St. Paul, you get this idea of uh, the, the sacrament uh of uh, the, uh, the Eucharist of um, do this in memory of me. It's not just um, a, uh, a memory in the sense of um, think about me when you do this, but it's um, to, re- to remember something is to make it new again. It's, it's sort of different, but it's also the same, right? So what memory is, is it's the old made new or the old made present again. Um, it's still literally the same old, but it's still, or nevertheless, you know, here now. Uh, and so what what Plato's doing is he's he's making uh, something that was past present. Um, and so the the um, kind of the the drama of time is kind of at at stake here. Is is something that is in the past merely stuck in the past or can it be brought to the present? And I think what, what Plato's trying to do is he's trying to say um, it can be it can be brought to the present. Things that happened in the past can be in some interesting way made um, 
made present. An action you've done in the past um, doesn't just stay in the past. It kind of lingers. And what you do in the future can have effects, interestingly enough, on that past action. Uh, real quick example, then we'll, we'll, we'll go on. So if you're, think about if you're playing music, you're playing like um, the piano, like an improv you know, piano piece, and you're playing and then you hit a note that doesn't exactly sound right, but you keep going. And as you keep going, you can kind of correct that note because you can you can make it part of like a particular run or something and then it becomes you know um, fitting it, it it actually starts to make sense as you continue um, so what looked like was a mistake can actually be redeemed given how you progress forward um, and so that's one of the things that um, is is going to be going on here uh, this notion of recollection as being able to take what was past made it uh, have it being brought to the present and that thereby kind of redeems it in a, in a way. Um, okay, so I want to um, say a brief word about Plato and Socrates. They were both actual real people uh, that lived in um, ancient Greece in, in Athens. Um, Socrates was, was um, older than Plato. Uh, Socrates uh, never wrote anything and so everything that we have about Socrates is through um, through the writings of, of others. So most most especially um, Plato. Uh, There's other people that, that that wrote a little bit about Socrates, um, but Plato's like our main uh, source uh, for understanding um, Socrates. Uh, Socrates was born roughly around 469 BC, lived in Athens his whole life, and he dies in 399. Uh, he was he served in the military. Um, uh, let's see, he was sort of reported for having been a a, a pretty you know well well known figure, public figure, despite his um, intentions. Uh, in a couple dialogues of Plato, Socrates is said to have kind of wished to have lived a private life, but he kind of gets sucked into. Um, public renown, partly due to just how odd of a character he is. Um, uh, uh, let's see. So um, Plato uh, was a student of Socrates, you could say. By, but by student, what I mean is he just spent much of his time with Socrates, uh, with, with a group of um, other young men. They just, you know, sat with uh, with Socrates, walked around with him. While Socrates talked, they had conversations with him. Um, so it was sort of an informal type of schooling. Um, but that's the origin of, of um, the, the academic context is actually Plato um, starts the, the, one of the first um, schools, you could call it in the, um, in the West, the, uh, the, 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 the academy. Um, and it was just this kind of informal school where people come and they dialogue, they have conversations, uh, and the conversations consist in asking questions and answering, and then being willing to like question the answers and kind of go back and forth in this question and answer type of way. All with like good spirit in regards to no one is like winning or losing. Everyone wins when people are honestly trying to understand 
So it's not like, oh, I'm trying to get this person to believe what I believe. Um, that would not be philosophical. That would be what um, Plato refers to as sophistical. Um, that's what the sophists do. They're not worried about understanding. They're just worried about trying to convince people of what they believe. Um, <clears throat> whereas what the philosopher is doing is they're trying to ask questions and understand even even to the point of being willing to say, um, I want to prove my own views wrong. I'm trying to prove myself wrong uh, as sort of a mark of how much they love the truth, right? They love the truth over their own, um, like, you know, preconceived ideas um, or theories or things like that. So sort of an interesting thing. Um but it's rooted in this type of dialogue. You have to have another person questioning you if you're going to um, practice philosophy, because you have to be you have to be examined. You have to someone has to examine you, um, kind of almost like you could think of it as like a doctor shining a light um, on the sick patient, trying to reveal all of the the errors, all the all the mistakes in the in the patient. <clears throat> what philosophy is is it's this dialogue where each contributor is shining a light on the on the other and they shine the light on the other by asking questions that maybe are difficult questions questions that a lot of people wouldn't want you know to have asked of them because they know uh, it would be hard to answer but the idea is that the philosopher you know is this person who wants to be examined because they they want the truth over their own false opinions. And so they're trying to like uproot all of these false opinions. And so um, it's like the light is being shown on on the other by these questions. Um, and the dialogue is the way of kind of resolving, um, maybe not resolving, but the way of um, of carrying out the, the examination, um, which is aimed at um, uh, uh, truth. Now, the, the the thing is, is that Socrates was killed for doing this. Um, he was executed uh, by drinking hemlock, famous hemlock. It actually, I think, grows natively in Kansas. So you kind of have to be careful eating little white flowers. I think they look like Queen Anne's lace, if you know that flower. So don't eat any little white flowers in Kansas because um, uh, they're poisonous. But he drank hemlock and died. And uh, that was in 399. Uh, and one of the, the reasons is because of the fact that he conducted this type of method. Um, and why would this be a problem? Uh, well, if those that were in power, those that were sort of politically strong were being questioned and they couldn't answer those questions, then their power, their authority is being removed from them, right? So if someone, um, it's like the the... The, the 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 emperor's um, uh, new clothes, right? The, if if no one questions the emperor, it seems like he has all this power. But once you start to question him, and you realize he's just an average Joe like everyone else, that he doesn't know any better than I do. He doesn't know any better way to rule than I I know how to rule. It looks like his authority gets undermined once his ignorance is manifested or revealed, um, and so. Socrates was was hated because he was kind of revealing 
the ignorance of all these people that had power. And obviously, if you have power, you don't want that to happen because you want to retain your power. And so they had to get rid of Socrates, and so he was executed. Okay, so all of this is within the context uh, or within kind of the, the, the aim of being able to to see what's so special about Plato. So, so Plato picks up where Socrates leaves off. And what I mean by that is Socrates carries on this dialogue in flesh and blood with people. Um, and that's, that's the philosophical spirit, like this conversation of being willing to ask questions and being willing to be asked questions by other people and not fearing, you know, saying, oh, I don't know the answer to that. That's a good, that's a good question. I don't know the answer. Or even you come to the realization, oh yeah, I'm wrong about that. That's not the right answer. Uh, and having to correct yourself. Um, so Socrates did that in flesh and blood. What Plato does is Plato writes dialogues. Plato does that in person too, but he's most well known for writing these dialogues. And what's so special about the dialogues is their conversations. And what he wants you to get out of reading these conversations is that you become a participant in the conversation itself. So it's not simply that you're this this outside you know bystander that's just passively reading these questions. So when Socrates asks a question of Glaucon, um, it's not like you as a reader just say, oh, I'm glad he didn't ask me that question because I don't know what the hell I would have said. Instead, what what's going on is when Socrates asks Glaucon this question, in, say in the Republic, the reader who's who's listening, so to speak, or reading um, to this conversation, they, they start to ask themselves that question. And so it looks like what what Plato's dialogues allow for is they allow for the reader to enter into a dialogue even if there is no flesh and blood person before them. So the, the, the written dialogue kind of reincarnates Socrates so that Socrates now questions the reader through the reader's attentiveness to the conversation that's happening in the dialogue um, so so it's a really it's a really beautiful um, kind of stylistic thing that's happening here that the reader gets sucked into the dialogue so that they become a participant um, and so it's never the case that you should say these are questions that Socrates is asking of Polymarchus or Socrates is asking of Adamantus or anything like that you should always say, these are questions that are being asked of me, the reader of the dialogue. And to do that is to read philosophically. Um, and all of, all of Plato's dialogues are things that are intended to be read philosophically. Just as a reader of like sacred scripture um, needs to read everything spiritually, right? So it's not like you read it merely just for the historical sort of insight that you might get or the like the, the 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 legal literary insight you might get from the scriptures it's always this is something that's not just being reported but it's something that's being spoken to me the reader and so it's always personal right so reading is always a personal activity and so what socrates uh, or sorry what plato is doing in writing the dialogues is he's 
trying to um, call you, the reader, into dialogue, into conversation with the, the text, right? So it's not just that you're reading about a dialogue between these characters on the page, but rather you yourself are dialoguing with the text. And so some of the, some of the times you'll, you'll come across an answer that one of the, the, the members of the conversation give to one of Socrates' questions, like, oh, what do you think justice is? And the answer is so bad that you think, no, you shouldn't say that. Um, that's, that's type of, that type of reaction is the reaction that Socrates, sorry, that Plato wants the reader to have. He wants the reader to get involved in the, 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 the dialogue, in the conversation, um, so that you kind of chime in as you're reading the dialogue. Um, uh, that can only happen if you're attentive, if you're reading it carefully and earnestly and personally, just as when you're reading scripture, if you read it sort of in a disinterested way, you'll probably fall asleep and you'll probably think it's the most boring thing ever. But there's other people that can read scripture if you like, you know, read it attentively and you read it and you try to like question it and you try to think of it in ways that sort of speak to you. Um, it becomes a, like a whole new type of um, book. It becomes almost like a living conversation. That type of thing is also what um, Plato wants the reader to have in reading his dialogues. Um, so, so keep that in mind um, as you as you read the Republic. Um, don't just think about what they're saying. Also, think about um, what you would say to this and why did he say this in light of the fact that I'm reading it um, so that's always important to, um, uh, to, to to keep in mind last thing and then I'll, uh, I'll we'll, we'll call it good and then we'll get into book one next time this is just sort of set up um, for the for the Republic um, but the um, uh, the the Republic is this um, this conversation, right between all these all these characters, and it's something that uh, has a has a content. Um, there's like stuff that's said, and then there's also a, a drama to it, meaning that there is there there's a setting, right? So so what's happening is there's a setting to the Republic, Socrates. Um, uh, goes down to um, the Piraeus, right, um, with Glaucon, and then he tries to leave. He tries to leave the Piraeus, but he gets stuck. And the reason he gets stuck is because these other people force him to stay. Um, and then you get this discussion about, um, can, will you let us go? And they say, no, we won't let you go unless you prove stronger. And they say, well, and they go back and forth about, you know, who, who, who would be stronger uh, and what would count as strength? And they're kind of toying with the idea or playing with the idea of like holding Socrates captive here because they want something out of Socrates. Um, so right off the bat, what you get is you get this, um, this dramatic element of the dialogue. The setting of the scene is such that Socrates makes this descent. He tries to ascend, but he can't because people, the majority with force, the majority with um, with what they regard as power, 
they're holding Socrates back. They're they're basically enslaving him, uh, and he's trying to um, he's trying to leave. He's trying to go back home to Athens, um, and now that is is like the um, the dramatic telling of the thesis of the Republic, right? So the as we said earlier, the Republic thesis can be seen as this: How do you make the ascent? from the lower to the higher, uh, the lower view to the higher view, the parts to the whole. And what you get is Socrates, in, in, the, in, the, in the drama, Socrates is being held at the lower. How does he return to the higher, which is like quite literally the higher city, the city that's, that's at higher elevation, um, uh, the, 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 uh, Athens, how does he make that ascent? What's holding him back? So all of these these um, dramatic um, set, the dramatic setting is philosophically important and interesting in understanding what the, the the Republic is about. So when you read this, you should read it not just as a work of philosophy, but as a work of of literature. Uh, it, it, it's quite a quite a beautiful um, uh, uh, beautifully written um, work. Uh, there's also a lot of humor in it. So um, a lot of the humor is kind of subtle and dry. There's a lot of innuendos uh, because Socrates is trying to be funny, but he doesn't want to like offend. And so there's a lot of subtleties. And so you kind of have to, you know, have an, an attentive eye just as when you're listening to a conversation, you might completely miss a joke because you don't get the subtlety or the play on the word, play on words that's being made. Um, that happens throughout. Um, so... So the Republic is is kind of a, a, a masterwork in, 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 in many ways. It's philosophically interesting. It's also a great, um, just a great read. So I highly recommend that you you do spend the time with it. I know it'd be easy to just skim uh, the, the book, but if there's like one thing you do this this um, this summer, uh, just carefully read through the Republic. I, I can almost guarantee that there's going to be, a, if you do read it, you know, every page of it, by the end of the, the class, I, I can almost guarantee that there'll be some people that'll email me saying, Dr. Jager, I, I really don't think you're that great of a teacher. I don't really like you, but The Republic was really wonderful. I'm really glad I read it. You made it confusing, but The Republic was like the highlight of the of the semester. Um, hopefully, I can help you a little bit uh, along the way, but uh, the, the, the text itself, I know for some of you, if you do read it, it will be one of your favorite books that you read in college. I can almost guarantee you of that. Um, but the only way to find that out is if you actually read it. Um, it's one of the most popular books ever written in the, uh, the Western world. Um, and so it'll make you just seem a lot smarter. Actually, it'll make you actually smarter, but it'll make you um, sort of impressive if you can have a conversation with people about the Republic. Um, the Republic is a book that's been significant for politics, uh, psychology, obviously philosophy, uh, sociology, th theology. Uh, a colleague of mine in the theology department is actually going to be teaching the Republic in his theology of the church class uh, because the Republic is like the, it's like the background for a lot of um, ecclesiology, theology of the church. Um, how do you you know, the body of Christ is this, you know, there's one body, but many members, many parts. How do they all, you know, come to form a single body? That's, like we said earlier, that's the, um, 
that's that's the republic for you right that's exactly what you're getting in the republic so um it's a it's really i think uh for me uh outside of uh the bible it's probably uh the the the, the most important book to read um up there with the brothers karamazov if you're if you're know anything about me you'll know that book's up there too so but anyway i uh uh hope you you um have some motivation and some some understanding approaching this this text um and we'll we'll get into the the meat of it next time all right